Welcome to the Potential for What podcast. On this podcast, we explore how a range of business leaders unlock the potential in people. We'll hear how they've done it, find out what has worked, what hasn't, and why this is so important in getting and keeping great people. Most businesses focus on the here and now. That is all about performance. But at Let's Talk Talent, we like to think differently as we fundamentally believe everyone has potential. The question is for what? So let's explore that together. I'm your host, Joe Taylor, Managing Director of Let's Talk Talent, a talent management and organizational development consultancy based in London, the UK. I have a request. If you value this show, if you enjoy these stories or find this wisdom or inspiration useful, please subscribe to the Potential for What podcast to listen to future episodes. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Let's Talk Talent Potential for What podcast. I'm Joe Taylor, MD of Let's Talk Talent, and I'm really excited to be talking to Zara today. She has two brilliant roles. The first is Associate Professor at Nottingham Trent University, and the second is Research and Impact Director at Kidian Partners. Welcome, Zara. Thanks. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Fantastic. So I want to start off probably not with the easiest question, but I ask everybody at the beginning of our podcast what potential means to you. So what does potential mean? Oh, okay. Uh, Good one. So... I would start with quite a generic definition, actually. That wouldn't necessarily be the definition I would recommend practitioners to use. But generally speaking, I'd say potential is the ability to be or do something more effectively in future. So the ability to be more than you currently are, the ability to learn, develop, get better at what you're doing. That would be my general definition of potential. So when you're actually working as a, you know, associate professor at NTU, how are you thinking about how this impacts the work and the research that you're doing? Yeah, it's a really important topic. I mean, potential has been really important for a long time for professionals, business psychologists like myself and anyone involved in HR or talent management. But increasingly so, I think increasingly we need to switch the emphasis from a focus on past success or even current performance to somebody's potential what are they capable of doing in future and there's a number of reasons I'd argue for that shift in emphasis primarily VUCA so you know the volatility and uncertainty and all of those sorts of things and the ambiguity that we have to deal with today in any working context means that it's much harder to predict who's likely to be effective in future. And that's what, you know, people uh, in my world of work are tasked with doing. And what skills will they need to be effective in future? It's becoming much harder to be able to do that, to be able to predict that based on who was successful in the past, because what we need to do in future will be quite different from the past. So an effective leader now or in the past looks quite different to uh, the expectations of what leaders need to do to be successful are changing very fast. So I'd say the emphasis needs to change uh, and we need to put much more emphasis on on potential, what somebody is capable of doing rather than what they've done in the past. For instance, diversity. I think it's key in terms of unlocking diversity. Um, I think the fact that we put too much of an emphasis on who's been successful in the past in some research that I did looking at changing senior leaders often 
the reliance is simply on let's bring somebody in who we know who's done this in the past. And there's loads of research that highlights that, first of all, somebody, a CEO who is successful in one organization is much less likely to succeed in a second organization. And of course, it, it really just perpetuates the current status quo, reliance on a small, uh, not very diverse population of individuals to have those roles. So how do we change the conversation within organisations? So you work in your role at Kiddy, like I do in LTT, with HR directors, CPOs, CEOs who are trying to find the next thing. Mm-hmm. And you're right, they're kind of looking at the right now rather than necessarily the future. So how do we change that conversation? What are the ways in which you're kind of doing that that would be really useful to share? Yeah, I think it's only fair that we acknowledge it is harder. It is harder to switch to looking at potential instead of current or past performance. There's no doubt about that. But it's whether you want to do something that is easier, but unlikely to be very effective or slightly harder or significantly harder, but actually reliable uh, and valid. So it's it's trickier for sure. I'd start with this. Well, the start point has to be looking at your own organisation. What's our strategy? And therefore, what will our leaders, and I'm assuming we're sort of focusing in on leadership potential, but it could also apply to anyone in a critical role. What do they need to be doing in future? So let's project forwards. What are the challenges our business is likely to need uh, our leaders to navigate it through? How will the context evolve? And therefore, what does that mean for the qualities that, that people will need to be effective in the future in our business? So it's important to not just look at what other businesses are doing, the challenges within your particular context may be different. So firstly, looking at your own context, and then secondly, looking at um, the extent to which individuals possess those qualities, or indeed, depending on the timeframe you're looking at, the extent to which we can help them develop those qualities. So when you look at the qualities, what would you say are the kind of critical ones that you see someone reaching some of the highest potential? What would you say? are those qualities? I would start with the ability to learn because of the fact that we operate in such a complex and changing environment these days that the challenges are going to change. Leaders are going to be faced with things that people haven't had to face in the past. So it's less about having the knowledge and the experience of different things, but more about those things are going to be hard to predict Therefore, if you've got a strong um, ability to learn, a bit a motivation and ability to learn quickly to adapt, then that will certainly put you in good stead. And going with that problem solving, so contextual problem solving ability, it's less about knowing all of the facts, having all of the knowledge, and more about knowing how or where to go to find that. So, you know, almost crowdsourcing, not having all of the answers, knowing you'll never have all of the answers. This is far too complex for that. But knowing where to go to find them. And I always think um, Jacinda Ardern shows great examples of that. Throughout lockdown, she was interviewing experts, literally asking them, tell me about, you know, let's say it was an expert in, I don't know, stress management or isolation. I listened to to one or two of these and she'd literally just ask them. So demonstrating that she does not have all of the answers um, and that as leaders, we need to demonstrate that we don't have all of the answers. That's not 
that's not a requirement anymore for, for, for effective leadership. It's knowing where to find them, having the humility to know when you need to ask. And I'm sure a whole host of other things, but the top two that come off the top of my head are those. Brilliant. So how do you make sure that it's not subjective? I've done multiple succession planning processes in my time. And you get the manager to assess, yep. you never really ask the individual. It kind of feels a bit that it's an, a part of an assessment and you're sort of going through a process and then you come out the end and you're put into a box. Yeah. In your experience, what are the best ways of getting to that sort of rounded, that balance between that science and art, but ultimately putting the human first? It's a good question. There's lots of thoughts that spring into my head on that one. So obviously, given that I'm an oxyke by training, I would always argue for the importance of reducing subjectivity, avoiding subjective opinion, you know, manager opinion. It's very hard to rid ourselves, even trained professionals, from biases. And of course, the closer you are to the individual, such as a manager, the, the more biases you're likely to have. So I would encourage lots of caution around using manager opinion. Of course, they do know the individual well and see their performance closely. So uh, that's the only caveat there. It, it, it has a role, but we need to have a process that's more structured, that, you know, oxides are trained in trying to reduce or minimise bias, using standardised approaches um, that focus on the things that matter and hopefully try to steer us away from being influenced by the things that don't matter but might appear to matter in the moment such as likability, for instance. So there's all of that. But also you mentioned the fact that individuals are humans. And I think this is an important uh, realisation. I mean, of course, as psychologists, you'd hope that we don't forget that. But in terms of the candidate experience, it's becoming more and more important. The fact that professionals like ourselves need to recognise that talent in people aren't there simply for us to use them for our own means or for the means of the organisations that we're trying to support, it's important to ensure that this is a good process for them as well. So I think it's it's a really good question. Um, and increasingly, people in our field need to put lots of thought into the candidate's experience to make sure it's a positive one. So even if it is an assessment process, for instance, that it's developmental as well. That doesn't have to be purely assessments. You can do a good assessment, but make it also a really positive uh, developmental experience where the individual gets some good insights, some feedback and all of those sorts of things. So I think you're quite right to highlight the fact that that shouldn't be forgotten. So yes, to try to have rigour, but not forget that this has to be a positive experience as well and uh, something that the individual gets something out of. I agree, because I think the best experiences that I've had when I've gone through any sort of assessment has been that that feedback, that realisation, mm-hmm. that aha moment where I've gone, you know, there were some things that I kind of knew, but it's been highlighted. We're all work in progress, aren't we? Yeah. But sometimes we overplay and sometimes we underplay our strengths. And by working through, as you say, a developmental process, it enables us to understand ourselves more which I think goes back to your point about humility and being willing to be vulnerable, which I always admire in a leader. And when I'm kind of thinking about the greatest people I've worked for, they've had that humility to sort of admit when they're wrong, but also be able to listen and lean in when they need support. Yeah, absolutely. A big part of potential is that it's recognising that that we are all unfinished. And, you know, until we're done, we're all unfinished. And there's always more 
that, that we can learn. So asking for feedback, you would hope to see leaders at every stage of their career still asking for feedback. How am I doing? Especially given that the expectations of the people that they're leading are changing. So no matter how effective you think you are, that's constantly changing because the expectation is changing. But it's quite hard, isn't it? You talk about change and the expectations, I think, on leaders is much tougher now. You're expected to be everything. You know, sometimes just you've got to wear a different hat. You've got to be a coach. You've got to be a mentor. You've got to be compassionate. You've got to be empathetic. You've got to care, but you've also got to be ruthless and you've got to kind of be driven by the commercial. It's quite hard for somebody to live up to those expectations, right? Very hard. It is. The challenge is we tend to just pile in more qualities, more desirable qualities, don't we? So the list just gets longer and longer. And you're right, it becomes an impossible thing to do. First of all, we need to, as professionals, try to resist the temptation to just pile in more and more things. There's a good research which shows that some, some qualities are what academics would call discontinuous. So they stop becoming useful at different stages of a leader's career. It's not just about developing new things, you know, developing that strategic, for instance, element as you get more senior, but also about stopping doing some other things or at least deprioritizing them. So recognizing and supporting leaders to prioritize different things at different times, hopefully should help it, it feeling like an impossible list of things that we're asking people <laughs> to do. Because <laughs> we're in danger of, in, in a way, fatiguing mm. um, our leaders, aren't we? And sometimes having that culture of hero to zero. Yeah. So you talked about it at the beginning when you said that some, a CEO that's done brilliantly in one organization and then goes on to be a CEO of another may not be as successful because actually the environment, the mm. people, the factors are different. So sort of what got you here might not get you there. How do you kind of mitigate for that? And what support should businesses put in place to stop that happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think what goes wrong here is that we put too much emphasis on the individual and not enough on the context that surrounds them in terms of development and um, even fulfilling potential. There seems to be this assumption in some organisations that once we've identified who we deem to be the people with the high potential, it will just naturally unlock. We just need to identify them, tell them, I mean, sometimes not even tell them, <laughs> but identify them and put them in some key roles and away they go, which is kind of crazy, isn't it? Because it's an interaction between the person and the qualities that they bring and the context. It's a bit like planting a sunflower seed and sticking it in a dark room. We organisations, we professionals like ourselves need to take the responsibility shouldn't be a burden that an individual has to shoulder alone when they're labelled high potential or identified as having high potential. It should be, it's a shared responsibility. So we need to make sure we're offering them all of the stretch, feedback, you know, a rich environment that, that can help them thrive um, rather than planting the sunflower seed and leaving it in the dark and, and just expecting it will magically flourish. So there's absolutely an emphasis on the context in terms of, of that. And also just in terms of the CEO having been plucked out of one organisation and placed into another, helping individuals, you know, first 90 days onboarding processes, helping them navigate the organisation, 
helping to shortcut that process that we all have to go through and joining a new organization of kind of navigating the culture, really trying to help support them to accelerate that. Here are the people you need to know, and kind of a 101 to the culture. This is how you this is how you succeed here. And these are the things that perhaps might be a bit unique to us and different to how you've succeeded in the past. Otherwise, there's a risk of that tissue rejection, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I'm writing a blog at the moment on sort of onboarding. And it says that if you have a really good sort of 90 day experience, that person is more is 85% more likely to stick with you than leave. Mm. And then if you don't, I think it's in the first 90 days, 45% of people at a C-suite level leave wow which is so costly for for an organization for many 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 reasons reputationally as well yeah i can completely understand that from the individual's own experience but also their perception when a senior individual is brought in especially from outside all eyes on them right and what are they going to do then let's let's see and if it all just goes a bit quiet and nothing really happens, or, you know, it may be going on behind the scenes, but people can't visibly see the impact of this new person that's been brought in quite soon, then I think they're really struggling, aren't they, to try to change perceptions about them. And I can understand how, why that would be hard and result in the stats that you just cited there. So yeah, it does put the emphasis on an effective induction process, on boarding, and all of those sorts of things. So Zara, if people wanted to read more about you or get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing, where would they find you? LinkedIn, I'd say, is a good starting point. I do post on LinkedIn every now and then, both uh, academic stuff and practitioner stuff, given that I'm a hybrid of those two things. So yeah, it'd be fantastic. If anyone's listening and they're interested in connecting, please do. And finally, is there anything um, that you're listening to that you've read recently that you'd like to pass on as a kind of, you know, pay it forward? This is what I think is really great about talent management, potential. Love to hear your kind of favourite podcast or book. Well, do you know, I mean, the thing that I read most of, I wouldn't recommend. It's academic papers. (laughs) And there's only a small fraction of them that are digestible. So... Uh, I do try to consider that part of my job to help disseminate those. So that is some of what you'll see on my LinkedIn. I try, if I find a really good paper, I will try and sort of decode it and uh, pull out the practical implications. But in terms of other things that are out there, I've been enjoying the um, CIPD podcast. I think it's called Work, just like the magazine. That's been quite good. But other than that, I do need to get back into my running this year. So uh, perhaps it's this podcast, Joe. Perhaps it's this we should be recommending. Love it. Thank you so much. It's been really fascinating talking to you. And I've learned a lot into deeper meaning of potential and how we as HR leaders can take that forward. So thank you so much. No problem at all. Thanks for listening to the Potential for What podcast. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to our new episode all the way to the end. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please share this episode with others who may be interested in this topic. As always, you can head over to letstalktalent.co.uk forward slash podcasts to check out all the links and resources in the show notes and to sign up to our email list.